Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This podcast contains discussions of child abuse, sexual repression, and sexual abuse, suicide, racism, misogyny, PTSD and PTSD symptoms, and spiritual oppression and abuse, including guilt, shame, and fear. In most episodes, we will be mentioning some of these concepts in a general way without any graphic detail. If any of these topics or other triggering topics will be mentioned in great detail, we will let you know at the beginning of each individual episode, as well as in the show notes for that episode. Podcast. It is a good day. It is sunny out. It is lovely out. Uh, and I am here. My name is Gabrielle Hawkowin, and I am here with my wonderful co host. Hi, I'm Sadie Carpenter. And Sadie, uh, now I know that we said that we were not doing homework episodes anymore, but this is not quite a homework episode because this is maybe a little bit more fleshed out than uh, something that we normally would do. But in honor of this episode coming out around the time of Easter, we thought that it would be fun to take a look at one particular depiction of the crucifixion of Jesus. Right. And this is a depiction that is a controversial outside the IFB. Extremely is, controversial. Yes. Um, and if you haven't guessed by now, we are talking about Mel Gibson's 2004 uh, motion picture. Uh, the Passion of the Christ. So Sadie and I have both watched this movie, and we are going to talk about it today. Um, so before we get into that, uh, I just want to say this is the podcast, the Leaving Eden podcast, where we talk about Sadie Carpenter's life in and escape from the independent fundamental 
Baptist cult. Uh, We seek to educate and to inform our listeners about this cult and other cults and, you know, the very real and present danger that they can pose to society as a whole. Uh, We aim to promote freedom of mind, uh, freedom of thought, and freedom of religion. Um, Yeah, so now that I've done that spiel, uh, let's get right into this movie. Uh, This movie came out in 2004. Uh, It was written, uh, directed, and produced by uh, action star Mel Gibson and former uh, People Magazine's Sexiest Man Alive. Really? Yeah, back in the '90s, man, uh, uh, Mel Gibson was a super was like a sex symbol. Like, have you seen Braveheart? No, I have not. You know, I'm not a huge fan of Mel Gibson because I'm Jewish. Uh, but I will say that Braveheart's a great movie. I love that movie. I've heard that it's good. That's just one of the things I haven't gotten around to yet. So, uh, this movie, what what's the guy, Jim Clavizel? Is is that the guy's name? Is that how I'm pronouncing it? Am I pronouncing that right? Um, I is the guy did that they not ha- look up a pronunciation for his last name. Yeah, it's like C L A V. It's it's Italian. Is is I I don't know how to pronounce some Italian last names. Anyway, I think it's Jim Clavizel. Uh, there's no he, L. I think it's Cavizel. Oh, it's there's no L. Okay, so it's Jim Cavizel. Uh, he is the man who is playing the title character of Jesus, and that's very interesting. But we will get into that. Uh, so, Sadie, uh, why don't you take us through the the plot of this movie, and then we can talk about, you know, what we thought about it and what you know people say about it, what the real controversy around it is. Sure. So, the plot of this movie was kind of the first thing that surprised me when I was watching it. I was under the impression that it wasn't terribly accurate, and In my opinion, this movie was pretty accurate to the events of the crucifixion as portrayed in the New Testament. So, uh, excuse me if you already know this, but the first four books of the New Testament, uh, which I believe in the past episode you've called, um, what was it? I called it the... Yeah, John Paul, Paul, George, George and Ringo. Ringo. Yeah. It's what you called it. Um, Yeah, I haven't haven't read the New Testament, so I don't know... uh, but I, I seem to be under the impression that the story gets told several times from different people's perspective. That's that's correct. And um, to Christians, all of those are symbolic. Um, so Matthew presents Jesus as the king. The book of Mark presents Jesus as a, ser- as a suffering servant. Uh, the book of Luke presents Jesus as a man. And the book of John presents Jesus as God. So these are four different men who knew Jesus, and they all had a different perspective on him. That's interesting. Yeah, it's like highly symbolic, and and that's like a vast oversimplification of the the first four books. The other thing about them is that some of them follow Jesus' life from when he was born to the end, but other books like Mark, I think Mark only encounters Jesus with, with like a year left in his life. So they all have they all have different perspectives because they're written by different authors and they focus on different parts of Jesus' personality, but they also have different perspectives because they they uh, tell the story narratively a different way. So are all of the stories basically the plot points are the same in all of them? There aren't a lot yes. of discrepancies. Very very few, and 
And a lot of it is just like, oh, well, the way it's worded in this book, it makes it seem more like this happened. This one thing happened before this other thing. But the way that another gospel words it, it kind of sounds like they happened on the same day or it sounds like they happened. One happened before lunch and one happened after lunch. So it's very, very small discrepancies. Pretty much there. They they support each other. And these four gospel writers would have known each other as well. So that makes sense. But the what we've done, what Christians have done when we try to understand what happened around the crucifixion. So it's not just the hours leading up to Jesus' ultimate expiration on the cross that are important and symbolic to Christians. It's actually the entire week before he died. His entry into Jerusalem starts an entire week of events that includes the Last Supper. It includes his trials and his crucifixion. And then three days after that weekends, it also includes the resurrection. So what we're seeing in this movie is just a small part of the story, but it pretty much sticks to the the general Christian narrative of what the Bible says happens with very few uh, exaggerations. So that that surprised me about the movie. I thought it would have more kind of off-book moments than it did. Interesting. Okay, so you're saying that, you know, Mel Gibson really read the book and, and took it very literally, uh, like what happened, and then put that on the screen. Yes. Um, one of the only things that is that is different that's like not in the Bible at all is one of the first scenes of the movie. So interesting. So we open in the Garden of Gethsemane. Or no, we open with a with the Judas being paid off. But the second main scene is Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he's um praying in agony and uh, praying to the point that he's just very drenched in sweat. So he knows that he has been betrayed. He he understands that he has been betrayed. Right. So the, the larger narrative is that Jesus and the 12 disciples are at the Last Supper, which is the, the famous painting that everybody's seen. And at the Last Supper, Jesus calls Judas out. And he's like, hey, I already know that somebody in this room is going to betray me tonight. And all the disciples freak out and they're like, not me, not me, not me. I love you, Jesus. I would never do that. And Judas is kind of quiet. So all the disciples start accusing each other of, no, it's not me. It's going to be you. And basically getting real nasty with it. And Jesus predicts then that Judas is going to betray him and that it's going to happen that night. So, so he knows he that knows. he... Yeah. So that that's part of the movie is that a few times in this movie. Okay. So basically, the the plot of this movie is that uh, essentially Jesus uh, is betrayed by Judas. Uh, the the temple uh, police basically they come and arrest him in the garden. Uh, they take him uh, and they kind of rough him up a bit. Uh, and then they take him to the Romans and they're like, "Hey, you need to execute this guy." And the Romans are like, "Uh." what if we just torture him a little bit instead? And then they torture him actually pretty badly. And then the, the, the priests in the temple are basically say, no, we still want you to kill him. And so then they kill him. Um, That's, that's basically the plot of the movie. Right. But yeah, it's essential to the Christian doctrine that Jesus knew. So he predicted the night before that this was going to happen. So when he's gone to pray in the garden, he knows that Judas is going to come find him in the garden and betray him. 
So that's why he's in, in that kind of agony. Satan visiting Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane is not biblical. So actually this interaction where Satan tries to like talk Jesus out of going through with it. Right, because he could have run away. Yeah, like Jesus, so he knew and he could have, like it's essential to Christian doctrine that Jesus consented to die on the cross for our sins. The idea that Jesus could have, there's a song, uh, the lyrics of the song are he could have called 10,000 angels uh, to destroy the world and set him free. So the, the idea that Jesus could have supernaturally removed himself from that situation and revoked his consent to die on the cross is essential to the Christian salvation doctrine. But the whole idea is that if he had done that, then he wouldn't have really been the he, savior. If he had done that, he would have doomed the world to hell. Yeah. So Satan, of course, wants to talk him out of it because Satan's like, hey, he has the power. He can still say no. I'm going to try to get him not to do that. So I get everybody's souls. But but this interaction between Satan and Jesus, a, a very similar one did happen according to the Bible narrative. It just didn't happen in the garden. It happened like 40 days prior to all this. Huh. Okay. That's that's interesting. Because um, Satan shows up a couple times in this movie. Yeah. And y- yeah, Satan kind of... I, I was interested in how they had Satan kind of in the background in a lot of scenes. Right. So um, we'll we'll get we'll get to that are a little we, bit are later. Are we going to get to that? Yeah, we'll get to that a little bit later. So uh, Jesus, he gets betrayed by Judas. They capture him, um, and they kind of rough him up a little bit on the way. Actually, they rough him up quite a bit. He he comes, you know, to the temple priests, uh, looking pretty bad. It's pretty clear that they've you know that they've been pretty mean to him. They've they've committed some acts of violence towards him, beating him up pretty bad. He takes them to him to the temple priest, and I guess Pontius Pilate figures out what's going on, and he's like, "I need to. This this seems like some nonsense. I need to uh, figure out where we're doing because right at, during this time, the Romans are occupying the the kingdom of Judea. Right, and there are three ruling powers that are all kind of in charge of different parts of the city of Jerusalem. So you have the high priest and his like his guys and they're are, in charge of the temples who right? are in charge of the temples right and and uh, they are not a big fan of jesus because he's like dumped over tables in the temples and said that you've made it into a den of thieves he's called out the pharisees he's like broken jewish laws on occasion um and and just like really made these people mad so they're not a fan of him but i think this is because so jewish law prohibits the death penalty or is like in only cer- only in certain cases Mm, I I'm not sure about that. I, I, I couldn't tell like, you. I think it's only for prescribed things. For prescribed, or like sins, there's some mean... reason, like there's some reason that they can't execute Jesus. Oh, so, so you're saying they're not allowed to do it themselves? So they put, so they had the Romans do it. So yeah, that's and I'm pretty whole, sure it's a yeah. religious reason that they're not supposed to do it. But it might have uh, something to do with the fact that Passover was supposed to start, like in the next couple days. Anyway, um, so the the Jewish temple rabbi guys are like one ruling power. And then you also have Pontius Pilate, who is the Roman ruler over the region. And then you also have King Herod, who is the leader that the Romans have put in place over just Jerusalem, I think. Okay, yeah, I don't know all the political situation of all of that. So it's a political drama of like, all three of these people want to get rid of Jesus because he's causing uprising. 
and he's causing issues. He also has a pretty a pretty large following. Some people estimate he could have had up to 10,000 people following him or more. They all want him dead, but none of them want to be in charge of doing it. That's the drama that you're seeing played out here. So these three, so the the high priest and Pontius Pilate and Herod are all trying to politically pressure each other into getting rid of this guy. So what ends up happening in this movie is that the priests turn him over to Pontius Pilate. Pontius Pilate says, okay, we're going to... Pontius Pilate sends him to Herod. Yeah, Pontius Pilate sends him to Herod, and Herod's like... Herod's like, I have nothing to do with this. Like, This is not my mess. Yeah. And so he gets sent back to Pontius Pilate, and then the high priests are putting like so much pressure on Pilate. They're like, you have to do something about this dude. And Pontius Pilate's wife is telling him so Pontius Pilate's wife had a dream uh, about all of this happening before it happened according to Christian tradition I don't think it's in the Bible but she had she had a dream about an innocent man being killed and Pontius Pilate's name going down forever in history as somebody who killed an innocent man which is pretty predictive (laughs) so his wife is trying to talk him out of killing him so when Pilate says, oh, I'm well, I'm not going to kill him, but I'll scourge him instead. That's him listening. His wife is talking in his ear like, don't kill him. You're, this is going to be a bad outcome if you kill him. OK, so th- this this is making more and more sense to me the more that you explain it, because I just you just don't have like the I keep seeing people act in certain ways. <laughs> and then I'm like, that is not a really logical thing for you to do in this situation, is it? So that's that's crazy to me. I didn't think about that until now because you don't really have any context for like what's going on here. No. I mean, it just seems to me like what is the problem with just like saying to this guy, please like like just letting him just do his thing and not bothering him. Like what what is the ne- what is the negative outcome there? I mean, the one of the big issues is that that Jesus has has caused a disrupt. So Jerusalem is is under a lot of political strain because you've got the occupying Romans uh, and then you've also got drama within the high priests kind of camp. There's like, there's drama about like Torah law and stuff that was going on around the same general time. Of course, because there always is. Right. They're always arguing. They're Jews. They're always arguing about the laws. Right. So, but like that is interacting badly with the Roman occupation because people are asking questions like, like, what does the Torah say about paying the taxes that the Romans ask of me? And so it's putting the high priest and his camp in a very difficult position because they kind of need to not cause a civil war because that would suck. But also they want to be true to their, the, to the, the laws and like they, are argue- there's internal argument about what the law actually says. So there's all this political pressure and there's all this religious pressure. And it basically just makes like a powder keg situation. So Jesus comes into it and Jesus is like, he's not attached to any of these people. He's because he literally does not care how much he pisses off the high priest. Because so Jesus, um, we're way way mad at him because he didn't wash his hands before he ate properly because he was on the road and he just like picked some fruit off a tree and ate it instead of stopping to wash his hands in like the ceremonial way and they were like so the high priest is like picking at any little 
deviation that Jesus does that isn't following Torah law because they want to discredit him. Because he's try- Jesus is trying to discredit them. Jesus is calling out the Pharisees. He's saying that like no matter how much you follow the Torah, it's not worth anything if you are cruel to other people. It's not worth it to anything if you don't love your neighbor. And he compares, so Jesus compared the Pharisees to the white paint that would be put on the outside of a fresh grave, which is clearly pretty offensive. Uh, yes. To, yeah. Like, and I'm the more I learn about Jewish culture and Jewish law from you, the more this makes sense to me, like why that is so super offensive that Jesus would say that. He's like calling them out on their sins and they're calling him out for breaking Torah law, which to be fair, he is doing. Uh, but he's also calling them out right back. So there's all this like infighting between Jesus and, and the the Pharisees and the, the religious people in charge. But Jesus is also pissing off the Romans because they are afraid of a Jewish insurrection and they're afraid that Jesus is going to lead a military insurrection against them. So then Jesus gets tortured. Jesus gets uh, he has to drag this. He, and, you know, the focus of this movie that's the sort of thing is that, see, if you explained it, if none of that stuff that you just said to me was at all in the movie. None of that stuff was in the movie. The focus of this movie was basically Jesus get getting tortured and then Jesus getting tortured some more. And then you think that they're going to stop torturing Jesus. Somebody walks up and somebody will say, hey, maybe you should stop torturing Jesus for a little bit. And then they're like, oh, okay. Just kidding. We're going we're gonna to torture Jesus some more. Like, that's... That's what goes on in this movie. It blew my mind when you said that you didn't understand like why Jesus was being shuttled between all these three, like the the Caiaphas and Pontius Pilate and Herod. Yes. I like I didn't understand any of that. It just seemed like they were like that just totally blew my mind when you said that because like, oh, of course this movie made no sense to you. If you don't have that context, but like I do Christian, I don't know like what percentage of Christians really have that kind of context because this, there's a level no. of very specific knowledge about, you know, Jerusalem in the first century that you have to have. Like, and I don't know, like I know the IFB taught that really particularly, but I don't know if other Christian churches do. Right. Okay. That, that makes sense to me. But that's what's going on. Like all three of these groups of people have a reason to want him dead. That's the bottom line. But none of them want to be the person in charge of actually doing the killing. So it comes down to Pontius Pilate. So he gives the people a choice. of It was a Roman holiday where he would typically, so Pilate would traditionally release one of two prisoners. Pilate said, okay, fine. I will release Barabbas, who is like a known bad guy, or I will release Jesus. Which one do you want to go free? And the people said, we want Barabbas. And Pilate's like, really? So this, really? This was a scene. This See, this was a scene that it seemed to me it was very interesting because I had to look up who is this uh, Barabbas guy, right? Mm-hmm. I'm like, who, who was he? Like, so I, I had to look him up because um, in the movie, so they show up. The, uh, so Jesus is like, they have Jesus. Jesus is looking all, all tortured and shit. Yeah, this is after the first of like three torture sessions yeah so jesus gets tortured uh and then Pilate has him you know up there and they're like hey bring out barabbas barabbas is like this 
crazy looking dude like this guy looks like he has like one eye is missing and he's just like looks like you know as soon as they let him like he's like foaming at the mouth pretty much and they're just like yeah let's release this guy instead of jesus but you know what i did i had to look up who barabbas was and what i saw was that it didn't say that he was a known like mass murderer known like bad guy it said that he was an insurrectionist yeah barabbas is somebody people will tell you different things about like who he was or what his crimes were the point is that he is somebody he had name recognition like people would have known who he was Hmm. and um i was always told that he was like a known thief but i wasn't able to find like really good evidence for that in the movie it says he's a known murderer and i wasn't able to get backup information for that either i looked it up and it said that he was an insurrectionist which seemed interesting to me but i'm going to talk about that okay. later well so so pilot gives the people a choice and they say no actually we want barabbas to be released and pilot's like fine so pilot can't come out and say like my wife says not to kill this guy because sexism <laughs> Like he can't, right? He can't like like make it clear that he's bending to what his wife wants. But Pilate also he's like the the leader. Like he he has to go by what the law says, right? To an yeah, to an extent. But he's like fine. I I'm not gonna kill him. I'll have him beaten. So that's when we get like the the like literal two year long scourging scene. Oh my god, that scene was incredibly like was very difficult to watch. Uh, so first they start out, they're beating Jesus with like switches. Uh, and then they switch to like this, like a cat of nine tails thing, but with like metal barbs in it. And they just keep like beating him with it and beating him with it and beating him with it. And his body is just like covered in blood. Like, yeah, disgusting. It was very difficult to watch. There's just blood everywhere. I mean, this was basically just like a snuff film, you know? Yeah. They're just beating him and 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 beating him. And you think, oh, well, they're going to stop sometime. And then they stop briefly. And then they start beating him again. And then when they show other people, like they'll show his mother, uh, Mary, just walking around. And they'll you'll still hear the them beating him in mm-hmm. the background. So in it's- Christian tradition um they uh would typically give prisoners 40 hits with the cat of nine tails traditionally 40 hits was a death sentence because generally mo- if you if they had 40 most people would die uh because those yes. because um the, the content warning for just gore for a few minutes here the barbs in the cat of nine tails would eventually disembowel a person as they wrapped around the rib cage and wrapped around the abdomen of a person Jesus was sentenced to 39 lashes, which is like the the equivalent, like what they meant to say by that was beat, beat him until he's almost dead, but don't technically kill him. Like, don't disembowel huh. him. That's what they were saying with 39 lashes. This is all, okay. So I'm learning so much here uh, and it seems very gruesome. But like, this is something I was, but I was... <laughs> None of this bothers me. You had to me. learn about this when you were a little yeah, kid. Yeah, like none of there are there are two scenes in this movie that bother me, and I'm going to tell you what they are when we get there. But like none of this phases me. Like this is hearing descriptions of people being disemboweled by sharp objects and cats of nine tails. That's something that I've been hearing since I was five. It just yeah. like this doesn't phase me. This is just like life. 
so they take Jesus back after he's been like, he's like, I don't know how he's walking at this point. He's like up. Like he looks like he's just straight up. Like they're dragging him across the ground. Like there's going to get some like dirt in those wounds. He's going to die of sepsis. Mm -hmm. That's what's going to happen. He's going to like get infection and die. So they take him back up in front of Pilate. Yeah. And Pilate's like, you still want me to kill this guy? And they're like, yeah, still kill him. So Pilate, um, so I don't know. So, so the, the scene where Pilate has a guy come out with a bowl and washes his hands, that didn't mean anything to you, did it? I'd heard of uh, I, I'd heard of that where Pilate's like, oh, yeah, I'm washing my hands. To, uh, that's something that I've heard of because he's like, I wash my hands of the matter. But Jesus is like basically says to Pilate, it's not your fault if you kill me. Je- Jesus literally turns to this guy. He's like, it's not your fault if you kill me. It's them who want me dead. This that that is something I'm going to get into later. That is something that I definitely want to get into. That later. Is, like that's going to be one of our major major points here. But to, to finish up the like the chronological bit of the movie, I guess. So this is the point where you see uh, Mary, Mother of God, and Mary Magdalene cleaning the blood off of the stones. I, yes. admit, I bring it up now because that's something that that I'm going to have to come back to later. That's an important part of Catholic tradition. But then they give Jesus the cross and they tell him to carry it up to uh, Golgotha where he's going to be crucified. Yeah. And so they're making him drag this. Like this man should not be able to be walking. This man is like he's like on the brink of death right now. I don't know how he's walking right now. But there is this extended scene that went on way longer than it needed to, where Jesus is dragging this cross across town and it goes on for like. 40 minutes mm-hmm. um and i'm just like looking at my watch the whole time and like he's just dragging this cross across town and he's not doing a very good job at maybe because they're like continuing to beat him as he's dragging this cross across town and then he like falls over and there's some dude who's like hey would you like this dude's literally about to die and he looks like like please stop and they're like hey dude do you here's an idea how about you help him carry the cross and that guy's like okay and then he does it yeah so that's simon of cyrene a lot of these people have names either given in scripture or from christian tradition um simon of cyrene is is in scripture i am pretty sure according to the ifb tradition that i was raised with he was a believer or he became a believer in jesus because of this whole incident one way or the other uh, but he was like trying to do something good out of the goodness of his heart. According to other traditions, he was forced to help Jesus carry the cross by the Roman soldiers. Which is what we see in here in this movie. Right. I think that I think that the, the Catholic so this movie sticks very closely to Catholic tradition. I think in in Baptist tradition, Simon willingly jumped in and there was that was something to do with like him believing in Jesus. But they finally get the they feel like hundred and fifty pound cross and they're trying to take it up a hill and all kind of stuff. And the dude who's carrying it is literally like on the edge of death. His body is like destroyed and somehow he's like carrying this cross. Then there's this extremely extended scene where they show him like being nailed to the cross, which is no fun. That's one of the only two things that gets to me. I I don't do punctures well. <laughs> And but they showed that they they like showed it in very great detail and all of the blood dripping down. That's the only place I had to look away from this movie. The only thing that actually got to me. And so then they take the cross, they put it up, 
Um, there's two other guys that are hanging up there as well. One of them says some mean shit to Jesus, and then a crow comes and pecks his eyes out. Oh, that freaked me out because I don't like that. Was that in the Bible? No. Okay, so they just Mel Gibson just added that in for fun. That's so just like a little bit of artistic license. Uh, and I saw the birds, the Hitchcock film, the birds, and hated it was scared of birds for like two years so i didn't like that so then the other guy is like i'm here because i'm a sinner and i've done wrong can i come to heaven with you jesus and jesus says if you rep have you repented of your sins and he's like yeah i've repented of my sins and then jesus says you can come to heaven with me and that is like that that's a huge focus like the so that guy is called the thief on the cross and I, there is a christian traditional name for him but it's not in scripture and i don't remember it at the moment um somebody at home is yelling it out <laughs> but that guy the thief on the so one guy jesus was crucified between two thieves which is important because they were like lowly so this is supposed to be an additional humiliation for jesus because to be associated with like just like petty theft and these guys who are getting crucified for being thieves one of them is mocking him and making fun of him like you're not so much a king now are you the other guy says you know i think maybe you are the messiah do you want to take me to heaven and jesus says today you will be with me in paradise so that's used a lot especially um, in churches i grew up in as an example of how it's never too late for you to get saved like it's never too late even if you trust jesus on your deathbed you can still go to heaven yeah so then eventually uh jesus dies I think it was kind of me watching the movie. I was low key just the whole time. I was like, when is this guy going to like finally snuff it? Right. Because, well, because as it, when he dies, that means they're going to stop torturing him. Right. You know? Yeah. And like, I can't stand to see these like really gruesome scenes of torture. So I'm just like, like, I'm, I'm, I'm like, when is this guy going to die? And then he says, father, I commend like to you. I commend my spirit or something. And then he dies and then they stab him again just to make sure that he's dead. And then they bring him down. And you get this uh, shot of Mary, Jesus's mother, cradling him, um, which I think was based on I've, – I've seen it in like a statue somewhere. It's based on um, – uh, yeah, it's either a statue or a famous painting. There are lots of Renaissance paintings and and statues based around kind of that moment when Jesus' body is removed from the cross and his mother is cradling or holding, kind of usually kind of holding his head. That is a that is a, a piece of religious iconography that has been done many, many, many times. Yes, and so then um, the the movie it, it gets to uh, towards the end of the movie. Well, this is pretty much the last scene of the movie. Um, there's a big earthquake which like splits the temple, and then. So, do you want to know what that is? What is that? Like, so there are there are all of these miraculous events that happen at the moment that Jesus dies. Uh, some are portrayed in the movie. So, in the movie, you see that there's a there's a solar eclipse, or that well, the Bible says the sun goes black. But a lot of scholars think that was might have been a solar eclipse. There's an earthquake. The temple is damaged. In the Bible, it says the veil, so the the thick knit, several feet of thick cloth that hung between some, some what is the outside part of the temple called in the Holy of Holies where the Ark of the Covenant is. So the, anyway, the, that thick like veil 
it's called the the temple veil, but it's a thick, thick piece of cloth that separates the two rooms of the inside of the temple. Uh, according to the Bible, what happened is that veil of cloth ripped in half from from the force of the earthquake or from the finger of God, as a lot of people believe. One thing that wasn't shown in the movie and I was very disappointed is that um, dead people in Jerusalem were resurrected and got out of their graves and walked around. I was really mad they didn't show that in the movie. Interesting. Because I've never heard that. That's wild. I was like, where are the where are the zombies? Yeah, so when Jesus died, the sun went black. There was a massive earthquake. The t- veil in the temple was ripped. And the other thing that was supposed to happen is that there, there were dead people resurrected. So I was a little bit mad <laughs> that that didn't happen. And what we got instead was the scene of Satan kind of screaming. Yes, yeah, Satan was screaming in like this sort of pit. In this sort Which of is like interesting because theologically, theologically, the crucifixion doesn't complete the redemption. Like theologically, it's not complete redemption unless Jesus rises from the dead. So really, Satan should have been screaming three days later. Right. But we do see three days later in the there's, I guess, uh, for like 30 seconds. Yeah. For like 30 seconds, you see like in, With I guess, in, I guess, a tomb. Soundtrack. Yeah, in this sort of tomb, you see like this cloth, which is, I guess, the cloth, the the clothes that Jesus was wearing when they buried him. Um, yes, it would be the the burial garments that they wrapped him in. Yeah, and so then you see Jesus, and he's not all bloody anymore. Um, but then he stands up and walks out of the tomb, but you can see that he's got holes in his hands, just to let you know that he's yeah. That this is after. So I was incredibly disappointed with this scene overall for many reasons. But number one, I was told growing up in the IFB that one of the reasons why this movie was so wicked was that the end of the movie you saw Jesus, Jesus butt. And like I was told that it was the director that Mel Gibson had put his own butt in there. And that, really? Yeah. So, but I was, but I always thought the end of the movie was. The end of the the end of the actual story in the Bible, Jesus comes out of the tomb. He meets his mother and other women that were part of his, like that were um, disciples of his. The women run back and they tell all his regular disciples, and the the men disciples are like, "What? Oh my God, we got to go see this." He meets with a couple of them, and then for forty more days, Jesus is active on Earth after his crucifixion, like after his death, just doing stuff. Like regular stuff. stuff. Like hanging out with his disciples. Yeah, eating and like surprising people and teaching them more stuff. And then 40 days later, they're all up on a mountain and God swishes them up into heaven in front of all their eyes. But that's called, so that's called the ascension when Jesus uh, ascends into heaven. So this is in front of all the disciples' eyes. So this movie, though, this movie has nothing really to do with anything that Jesus particularly taught. It just was all about Jesus being killed. The story of his death. Right. So like we don't and, and like we don't even get the good part of the, the, the end of the story of his death in our tradition is that he came back from the dead. That's the important part, because theologically for Christians, like I said a minute ago, redemption is not complete at the death of Jesus. Redemption is complete. Like the part that takes us to heaven is that he died, was buried and was resurrected. You've got to have all of died, buried, and resurrected. But this is just died. That's all this is. This is died. And then you get like 30 seconds of the resurrection. The soundtrack behind the resurrection is dumb. 
and you don't even get to see the whole butt. It's just like side butt. Yeah, I'm sorry, but this butt was been has been played up to me for like 17 freaking years at this point of like, oh my god, so shocking. Divine butt. And like divine booty. Divine booty. And I get to like I finally get to the end of this stupid torture porn movie. And I it's not even a whole butt. But then the movie like cuts out and it goes to credits. And I was totally expecting Jesus to get a post credits scene. Like, you know, at the end of an Avengers movie. Yes. That I thought Jesus was going to get a post. I watched through the whole damn credits because I thought there was going to be like some kind of post credit. Like Jesus was going to get like his Iron Man moment at the end. <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> Nothing. Samuel L. Jackson's about to show up uh, and be like, Jesus, we have another mission for you. Yes! That's that's what the end should have been. That would have been better than the way they ended it. Oh, man, that was... I just had to to complain about that because, like, I really thought there was going to be a post-credit scene, and there wasn't. There was no post-credit scene, no. uh, But, uh, so I heard, speaking of butts, but, 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 but... um, Watch out, you're going to get our show tagged as explicit. So you you've uh, mentioned that the IFB really did not like this movie. They had huge problems with it. So aside from this holy booty, um, <laughs> the, this holy badonkadonk, Stop! Uh, this yeah, what what was it that the IFB really didn't like about this film? So we were kind of told that this movie made like it made the crucifixion very hollywood and i think somebody probably just came to that conclusion without having seen the movie because this movie was pretty accurate it was way more accurate to the the way the bible portrays this and than i thought it would be in a million years but we were told that kind of like oh it's these evil hollywood people who don't even really believe in jesus who are just making this movie for money so that was one thing we heard about it um i heard it i was i heard that they were very upset because of the portrayal of the holy booty which as i have mentioned was not even all that they could have shown way more butt than they did yeah i mean honestly i kind of wish they had because i thought the framing was odd i thought it was weird that's just me and then the other thing is so so the ifb typically they're not big fans of portrayals of jesus it's not forbidden like some religions forbid iconography like i know that um this movie wasn't allowed to air wasn't allowed to be shown in certain countries uh because muslims consider jesus a prophet and they consider it wrong to make depictions visual depictions of prophets it's absolutely haram yeah so this movie wasn't wasn't shown in certain countries where it would be considered offensive ifbs don't completely prohibit visual depictions of jesus but they really discourage it so if you go into a Catholic church, you will almost certainly see a depiction of a crucifix. And a crucifix is showing Jesus on a cross, like the body of Jesus on a cross in the act of being crucified. If you go into an IFB church, you will almost never see a crucifix. You will see a cross, like an empty cross without a person on it. But uh, they don't do crucifixes because they are typically against portrayals that show jesus in the act of being crucified because they believe that that's too catholic so another Hmm. misconception that that baptists or ifbs tend to have about a catholic mass 
is they tend to think that Catholics believe that Jesus is re-crucified every time the priest performs mass. So what Catholics actually believe is that there's a a connection between the original crucifixion of Jesus and the body and blood at every mass that is consecrated. Baptists think that it refers that the mass, the consecrating the the cookies and wine at mass, that Ca- Baptists think that Catholics believe that we are crucifying Christ again every Sunday for mass. And that's not that's a misconception. But because of that misconception, Baptists tend to disdain images of Christ in the process of being crucified, and they prefer images of the living Christ, so post-crucifixion. So he's got holes in his hands, but other than that, he looks good. Okay, see, that seems like very small sort of problems, but I guess if you're IFB, that's enough reason for them to say this movie is banned. It's pretty much that, and also, like, they are completely and totally against going to the movies. And that goes back, that's pretty much like goes back to Lester Roloff, Jack Hiles, and other guys like that who were against going to the movies. So Baptists are still against going to the movies. So even for a Christian movie, you would still not go to the movies. So do you want to know what uh, I was told about this movie when it first came out? Oh, please. In the Jewish community, this so this movie came out, this movie caused quite a stir for us, generally, because of what I, per, me watching this movie what I saw as blatant anti-Semitism. Um, I don't know. Did, were you able to pick up on any of that? I was able to pick up on some. I'm sure that you're going to have about twice as much, if not more than I do. But if you want to kind of talk through some of what you noticed, I can jump in with like, yes, I saw that or no, I didn't. So here's a question for you then. Have you ever heard of a passion play? Oh yeah. I've been to like 12 12- been in like three so you know about so a passion play for those who are not familiar is basically like the the story that this movie this this story of this movie uh where it's a depiction of of jesus being crucified as a play as like a theater show yeah typically it's a little bit more expanded we get like a little bit before and a little bit after but yes and usually these plays would happen um during lent so so just before easter uh, the 40 days before Easter. Mm-hmm. Yes. So the Passion Play is a tradition that was started in the 1300s, and they were popular throughout Europe. And so they depict like the final days of Jesus, and it was very common in the Catholic Church to have a Passion Play sometime during Lent. But there is a very dark side to these Passion Plays, because in medieval Europe and, you know, Renaissance era, and then following that uh, up, all the way through, you know, uh, up until like the 1900s, uh, basically, the passion play would often be used to spark a pogrom against the local Jewish community. So this, oh, they, shit. you did, yeah. So they would do this play. Um, they would really put a lot of emphasis on the amount of violence that was committed against Jesus, and they would really put a lot of emphasis on you know it's the jews who were to blame for this so this would spark a a pogrom against the jewish people uh their their local community so basically the idea was that it would very aggressively blame the jews for the death of jesus you know and then it would spark uh destruction of property violent attacks rape murder general prosecution or, or persecution um so they'd use these plays to yeah so say you were like a local leader you know and you're living in like a catholic country and people are mad because they don't have enough food you can be like 
oh well it's the jews who are to blame and this is what they would do they would just be like it's the jews who are to blame because you know it's it's their fault they're doing jew magic or something remember how they killed jesus let's do on this play they killed jesus now you go you murder a bunch of jews you get back you're like you got that out of your system you attack them so now you don't have to you know come and, and turn on me the local leader who's uh abusing you so basically that's that's how these things would work now we know so the catholic church i want to talk about this because Almost 60 years ago, uh, the Catholic Church, uh, in 1962, it went through a major transformation known as Vatican II. This transformation is probably the largest single shift in doctrine and policy since the beginning of the Roman Catholic Church. And, yeah, that's accurate. Yeah, and so basically anybody with half a brain knows that these were changes that they made, and they made things a lot better. Um, one of the major changes worth noting here for so for nearly two millennia, the official stance of the Catholic Church was that Jews are to blame for killing Jesus. This was the official stance of the Catholic Church for nearly 2000 years. Vatican II changed this stance. And so since 1962, especially relations between various Jewish and Catholic communities have significantly improved like they they've gotten much, 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 much better mel gibson however the writer the director and the producer of this movie is a traditionalist catholic specifically he is what is known i i don't know if i'm saying this right is a set of vacantist uh traditionalist catholic which means that he does not accept the legitimacy of vatican ii this movie is going to not is going to be in line with what the Catholic Church was teaching. This will be basically a sanitized version of what the Catholic t Church, like their official position was mm -hmm. for nearly 2000 years until 1962. Furthermore, we know for a fact that Mel Gibson really hates the Jews and is a huge anti-Semite because in 2006, so about like a year, two years after this movie came out, he was arrested for drunk driving um, and he accused the arresting officer of being a Jew and then quote, and this is a direct quote from him. He said, Jews are responsible for all of the wars in the world. So, yeah, yeah so I knew about all of this stuff beforehand because, you know, how could I not? And so I went into this movie watching it and I'm like looking at this and I'm just like. Uh, they, like it's it's bothering me so much and you know maybe it makes sense to whatever the the christian narrative of the story is but you know it it seems so, yeah can i can i jump in on this yes okay so the whole the whole thing of uh the jews killed jesus i was aware that historically that has been used to justify atrocities and acts of violence against specific jewish people i did not know that it is still a thing like i didn't oh, know it's, that of it course is it's still a thing well yeah but like i thought like nazis and thought that i didn't know that this is prevalent in christianity until we were researching an episode that has not come out yet but you're we'll hear soon yes i have very recently learned that like this is not as niche of a belief as I thought it was because I grew up on the other side of Christianity. I grew up on the side that kind of fetishizes Jews or, uh, you know, wants that because I grew up on the other, the other side of the theology, which we will explain to you in an episode very soon. So I'm not going to start, but I 
I did not know that this like that this was still a thing. I think you know the Christians that I am aware of. I, I have to compare this, uh, which is this might be a weird comparison, but I have to compare this movie to the play Jesus Christ Superstar. Okay, which I, I assume you haven't seen. I haven't seen it. I've heard it's very good. Um, I think I think you would enjoy it a whole lot more than you enjoyed this movie. Well, that's not so. saying that much. I hated this movie more than I hated Sheffy. Because Sheffy was oh, kind of, Sheffy oh, no. was boring, but it wasn't racist. This was boring <laughs> and racist and just brutally violent. How do you make a movie that's this, like, brutally violent and make it boring? <laughs> this boring? Yeah. I mean, a sucky soundtrack didn't help. Yeah, I hated the soundtrack. Soundtrack was terrible. It was just like, ah, and that's like every scene and then satan shows up <laughs> no so um so comparing this though to jesus christ superstar jesus christ superstar was pretty con uh, honestly um we should watch it and review it for the podcast maybe next easter i would love to but let's uh let's put that on our tentative schedule but jcs um the reason that it was controversial controversial amongst so many christians is that it portrays judas not as complicit in the death of christ but it portrays Judas as kind of a pawn in God's game of chess. Based, so the Christian belief is, uh, which I mentioned earlier, that is that Jesus had to consent to die on the cross. There are there are things that are vital to our salvation theology, and one of those things is that Jesus willingly laid down his life for us. It is it is not redemption if Jesus was forced or coerced into doing this thing. It it only works if he willingly gave his life for all of our sins, um, which I think is a lot nicer to believe in than the idea that this this poor guy was like sacrificed without his, you know, without any choice in the matter. Jesus Christ Superstar portrayed Judas not as a villain, but kind of as a pawn in God's long game. And that's what people got really upset about was the, was the implication that God would use someone like that. Um, that's why Jesus Christ Superstar is what's one reason why it's it's so controversial. But in this movie, the idea that the Jewish high priest is responsible for the death of Jesus is antithetical to Christian theology because we believe that Jesus laid down his life. If that guy hadn't been there to say, kill this guy, it would have been somebody else. If Jesus had been born into any country at any time, if Jesus was born into America today instead of Jerusalem 2,000 years ago, he would still have gotten killed. It does nothing to do with the people who actually put him to death. Those people were just fulfilling prophecy. Interesting. It has literally nothing to do with them. So this idea that the Jews killed Jesus, that is so backwards to the theology that I was raised with. That it just it just doesn't even like it doesn't make sense because like Jesus' death would have happened anyway. It would literally would not have mattered who the ruling powers were. That's that's an interesting take on it because when I was watching this movie, at least how it was portrayed to me is that the Romans, uh, Pilate and uh, King Herod, they 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 did not care about this thing they're just like we do, we don't want to see extra violence we don't want to see any like pontius pilate did everything that was within his power to keep them from killing jesus but man those dirty jews they really like persisted they were really persistent that they wanted this guy murdered and you know we were just 
we just had to go along with it. You know, we were just following orders, you know. See, the idea that that Pilate did everything that he could to prevent the death of Jesus, that's scriptural. Like, that's in there. Okay, and see, that's... That he really didn't want to kill the guy. So then there, that's what I wanted to get to then. And that, like, the Jews really did want him dead. But, but putting the blame on the entire Jewish race is not scriptural. That's not that's not founded in in reality of of the the doctrine and the theology that we're taught. Okay, so here this is the thing though. I, I want to talk about this narrative as it relates to the spread of Christianity. Okay. Okay. So in our uh, it, this was a while ago, but in our episode where we talked about the the Christian Seder or whatever, we talked. Uh, I talked about basically how, from my perspective, I see Christianity as a religion that was meant to spread throughout the Roman Empire because the Roman Empire was mostly polytheistic. Getting them to worship the Jewish God was not going to be difficult, and getting them to see a sort of God slash man hybrid as possible was not difficult either because that's sort of how they saw the Roman Emperor. But here lies the problem. Say you are a loyal Roman subject, and I'm trying to convert you to Christianity. And I say, well, we have this very powerful God. He is, he is the greatest God. He is, he is the one true God. And there was this prophet who was his son, and he was the, the embodiment of God in the flesh. And through him, everlasting life is possible. So you're going to say, oh, that sounds great, right? Yeah. Yeah. But then I've got to get to the part where I say, but here's the thing. It's you guys that killed him. His death was caused by Roman imperialism. That's a problem, right? That would be that would be a big problem. Mm-hmm. So yeah. if I'm writing this story out, I've got to figure out a way in which to tell this story in which the guy was able to be killed under Roman occupation and by Roman soldiers. by Roman soldiers, but the Romans are not responsible for his death, and we're also somehow powerful to stop it. Even though the symbol of the religion itself is the preferred Roman method of execution, so yeah, so you've got to find somebody to blame. Yes, yeah, so you've got you have better. Yeah, so you have this depiction of Jesus's death in religious texts that paints basically the Jews as the only ones who are responsible. And the Romans just sort of went along with it just because they had to, despite the fact that they had a massive empire, a massive empire with massively outsized military strength. They had no choice. And this to me makes absolutely zero sense. So the like basically, and I don't, I don't want to offend people here. Because I'm speaking about texts that people hold very dearly. I think th- like this is the way that I think it probably happened. For me, this, this is what I think probably happened. Um, is that Jesus was probably a fairly radical rabbi who was a spiritual leader of some kind of revolt against the Roman occupation. He was crucified by the Romans for his crimes, you know, as like a public demonstration. And he had amassed a certain number of followers before his death. After his death, you know, stories become inflated, stories become legends, and this movement outlives him. But the story, which I think is probably what happened, is that the Romans are definitely the bad guys. So in order to make this whole story appeal to the Romans, as, you know, as at least from where I see it, Christianity was a religion that was made to appeal to the Romans. You know, you can't, you can portray individual Romans as being bad or cruel, but 
the Roman system, the Roman government itself isn't the they aren't the bad guys. They aren't the evil ones. The bad guys are the Jews. The bad guys are the priests in the temple, the 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 you know, the religious system, not the Roman system, the religious system. It's the Jewish system that exists underneath the Roman system. And that's what we're seeing play out in this movie. I I mean, I think that makes total sense. And that that concept of how Christianity came to be, I mean, there there are parts of it that as a Christian, I would disagree with. But that that idea in general is not completely anti like anti every Christian belief that there is. No, and I'm. I can't just sit here and say like, oh, that doesn't make sense. Well, it might not make sense to you, and a lot of people watch listening to this. It might, might, it might not make sense to them either. They might be like, this doesn't make sense to me at all because they have very strong beliefs about. This is how I sort of see this, and this is how I'm sort of able to to reconcile this. I guess what I would say is like, I don't have a problem with that being your conception of this because I think you perceive that that conception is like hugely offensive to me. And that it's more of like a, eh, yeah, you got some stuff wrong, but whatever. Yeah, I'm sure that I got some stuff wrong, but... But it's not like, it's not like massively offensive to me. The truth is that if I can be a little bit vulnerable... Go for it. Um, ...on this podcast, the truth is that we don't know. The truth is that to believe in scripture about someone who lived 2,000 years ago and supposedly did miracles and rose from the dead and responsible for the redemption of sins that I do now in 2021. That's not a logical belief. That's something that that's faith. So it's not incredibly important to me the, the, to know the details of what happened because I have, I, I have what I believe happened and that's important to me personally but I don't know. How could I know? Right. I wasn't there. And I am not one of these people who believes that the Bible is, like, I believe that the Bible is the word of God. But how am I supposed to know 100% for sure that the Bible hasn't been tainted by outside influence, that it hasn't been mistranslated ever in 2000 years? Really? How am I supposed? To? I don't know that. I don't know. I believe but I don't know. So I just feel like it would be hypocritical for me to sit here and say, oh, well, I know you're wrong. Right. <laughs> because I don't. Because neither one of us knows what happened back then. Yeah. And I mean, the the thing, I don't know, the thing that me, like, I, I don't care what other people believe because, you know, they're allowed to believe what they want. Um, But the, the thing that really irks me about this movie isn't so much that, you know, Christians believe that this is what happened. The thing that irks me about this movie is that Mel Gibson decided to make this movie knowing what I know about him as uh, and his motivations and his prejudices decided to make this movie and focus on these events like and I like understand the history of these events and the history of the portrayals of these events that's that's like the issue for me yeah and I do agree at the bottom line, that this movie had a, a definite anti-Jewish bent to it. Sure, absolutely. I, I think that is that is really obvious, and that's something that that can that like, I don't know. It's very obvious. Um, do you want to circle back and talk about like the the are we are we ready to move on to like one more topic? Yeah, let's talk about other stuff. Okay. Let's 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 talk about the funnier things about this movie. 
Okay, I wanted to get a little bit into like the weird gratuitous violence. Like, like why is this movie literally only about the violence? Yes. Can we talk about that for a minute? So, so we can talk about that. I told my husband that I was watching this movie to do the Easter episode about it. And his first response was, oh, the snuff film? <laughs> and- but that's what it is. Yeah. And then the second the second response was to warn like to actually get serious and warn me about the violence in this movie. This is my husband. My husband has seen me literally sit and eat pizza through the Slayer Killogy. Repentless the Slayer Repentless Killogy. I don't know what that is. Which it is uh it is an extended music video of like several Slayer songs back to back. And the plot of it is the overall plot is like a prison riot that leads to many Nazis getting murdered. But there's also a subplot about Danny Trejo's wife's head getting cut off with a chainsaw. Danny Trejo's in it. That's kind of cool. That's interesting. It's like extremely violent. And my husband is literally seeing me like sit and eat pizza through that. Um, and so he's warning you about the other, violence like, in this metal movie. Music video, yeah. Like there's like metal music videos that are very violent, and and I typically have no issue. Like I, I watched The Boys and was like on Amazon. It's like fine. And he's warning me about the violence in this, and I was like, oh my god, what is in this movie? If it's so bad that he's warning me about it, yeah. So ne- he knows like my tolerance for these things, right? And and now that I feel like we've gotten through all of like the theological stuff, we can really critique this movie as just as a film. You know, how did you feel about the violence? Did you feel like it was too much for you? For me, not really. Um, there are a few. There are things that I per like. Everybody has their thing, you know. Some people can't do brains. Uh, some people can't do fingernails. You know, they're just like everybody has that little thing that creeps them out. You couldn't do the puncture scenes. Piercings and yeah, piercings and punctures are things that I don't handle very well. The the piercing the hand, I did have to look away for that. The other thing that really bothered me was the crown of thorns, and I'm gonna tell you why. <laughs> this is a we need a little theme song for the childhood trauma moment of each episode. <laughs> Let's get like a little child singing or something. Jesus loves me. Yes, I know. We gotta have something. The Bible tells me we so. need like some kind of little theme on the piano. It's like it's like lots of bells. It's like do 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 do. And it's the the theme for the childhood trauma moment of each episode. No, I'm saying get the little children singing Jesus Loves Me like you had in the... No, that's a, that was a teenage trauma where Jack Scott made me listen to that song while watching grossly violent things on the big screen. Um, no, uh, anyway. So the crown of thorns, the way that this was... I don't know who said this. Or at what point in my childhood, but I will tell you this scarred me for life. Descriptions of the crucifixion are really common in the IFB. There's this piece that goes around and it's called A Physician Analyzes the Crucifixion by Dr. C. Truman Davis. Um, I'm going to have this linked in the show notes if anybody wants to go through and read it. I was going to read the whole thing on air and now I'm just like, eh, never mind. So it goes through kind of the whole story in great detail, it talks about kind of um, hypothetically what medically would be the outcome of the different things that were done to Jesus. Um, let me see if I can find like a, a quote. Okay, so this is talking about, this part is talking about where Jesus has been nailed to the cross and like the specific way that they nail you on the cross is meant to cause asphyxiation over time. 
So this is the quote talking about that. As the arms fatigued, great waves of cramps swept over the muscles, knotting them in deep, relentless, throbbing pain. With these cramps came the inability to push himself upward. Hanging by the arm, the pectoral muscles, the large muscles of the chest were paralyzed, and the intercostal muscles, the small muscles between the ribs, were unable to act. Air could be drawn into the lungs but could not be exhaled. Jesus fought to raise himself in order to get even one short breath. Finally, the carbon dioxide level increased in the lungs and the bloodstream, and the cramps partially subsided. So it talks about like the, the details of crucifixion, like how it was done and how it actually killed a person, which was usually by either sepsis or suffocation. Because when you're hung in that position, you're you're not able to breathe effectively. And that's the bottom line. Interesting. Right. Like like how you died from that was was often asphyxiation. And then when they were ready for people, so the soldiers who were responsible for the crucifixion, if somebody went on too long and didn't die, they would come by and break your legs, which leaves you unable to push. Oh, and they showed that yes. in the movie. And there's a there's a Christian theology reason why they didn't break Jesus' legs. Why? Because if you go all the way back to other stuff that we've talked about, Jesus is, in Christian theology, the final sacrifice. So in Jewish law, when they made animal sacrifices, the animal had to have no broken bones. And the way that the priest would slaughter the animal to sacrifice that animal in the temple was like part of that like kosher slaughter prod process is to avoid breaking any bones. So Jesus had to not have broken bones to like fulfill messianic prophecy. That's interesting. I, I'd never even thought about that before, but okay. Oh dude, like that stuff goes so deep. We have not even scratched the surface of it. I don't huh. think we're going to have, we're going to have to do another episode because I don't think we're going to have time. I thought we were going to have time in this episode and I think we're not. No, but okay. That's, that's wild. Hmm. What was I saying? Oh, this guy who writes like the super. So in the IFB, that's where I was going with this. It's it's like they it's almost like a contest to see what preacher can write a more graphic and violent description of the crucifixion. And these preacher, they will read it from the pulpit. And it's it's something I don't I don't know how to explain. Like It's just like gore fest where they're just like. Yeah, and yeah. like and like getting more and more descriptive like with how you talk about this pain. And I remember being in church a lot as a child and crying because it you know, I felt so bad about this. Like somebody being tortured and treated like that. It was very painful for me to hear about as a kid. And I remember all often I hated when anybody would start up on this because I I knew I was going to cry. But part of this is like I was a child who hadn't been exposed to a lot of violence because I was growing up without you know, a lot of video games or movies that might have violence in them. So this was really, this is like the only exposure to violence that I had. And it was really traumatic for me. And one thing that I remember, and I don't know what preacher said this, I don't know when, but I know I was little. They talked about the thorns from the crown of thorns that they put on Jesus' head going through, and I'm sorry, this is really gross, going through the back of his eyeballs like essentially skewering his eyeballs in place so that he'd still be able to see but not be able to move his eyeballs independently anymore. What? And like that's like what would happen. Like when they put the crown of thorns on you, the thorns would either go through the scalp and into the eyeballs or through the like the surrounding like tissue, like under up under your orbital bone. And that his eyes would have been skewered. That seems medically wrong. That I seems mean, yes, now it does, but 
I am still so freaked out by anything to do with eyeballs. I cannot handle it. My husband said the word eyeballs at dinner one time and I threw up. Oh, wow. I am that freaked out by eyeballs. And when I was watching this movie, I had like this flashback of somebody saying that in church and my entire life fell into place. Like, this is why I'm freaked out by eyeballs. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Wow. Take this to therapy next time. You can be like, hey, guess what I learned? (laughs) So like my whole life, I've been like, why am I so freaked out by this? Because generally I'm like gore doesn't bother me very much as a person. But that's like one of like three things that really does. And while I was watching this movie, I realized that all of the the two out of the three things that really bug me, like my three things I cannot do, are punctures, eyeballs, and brains. And two of the three of them are from this crucifixion story. Wow. Okay. That's (laughs) So that was like great for me because I'm like, oh, that's where that comes from is like hyper-realistic, hyper-graphic stories of crucifixion being told. Except for that they're not realistic stories. They're just like... (laughs) Some guys like torture porn fantasy, Jesus torture porn fantasy, which is essentially what this movie is. Um, which is what this movie is. I'm sorry. I just had like that, that major revelation about my childhood. And I was like, oh, uh, this is what I should talk about on my podcast. <laughs> revelation, no pun intended. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. OK, so I want to I want to talk about some of the funnier things in this movie, because we've gotten through like the hatred, this, the story itself, the violence uh, the the anti-Semitism and your childhood trauma, but there's a few things in here that I really that I really want to talk about. So the first that I wanted to say is that throughout this movie, very frequently there will be you know flashback scenes. So in the movie, Jesus will see something, right? He he will be looking at something, he will see it, and then it will remind him of something that happened in the past. And yeah. All of these flashback scenes feel super sexual to me. Did you pick really? up on did you pick up on that? Oh this, I totally did not. You know the scene where he like at the beginning, I know he's there with his mother, literally with his mother, but he's making the table. And I'm yes. just like, oh man, Jesus is looking sexy as f- right now you know what i'm saying okay no i did pick it up in that scene i didn't in the other flashbacks in that one i was like this is weird yeah where he's like i'm making a table he's like he like gets up and he sits on the table he's like this table's strong yeah the way it was the way he jumped on the table that was it for me i was like wait Mm. yeah but i I like this (laughs) he's like making this table he's looking shredded like he he is and the thing is, you know, well, he's... which is interesting because by the time we get to the crucifixion scenes, where you got like dad bod Jesus going on, I don't, f- I really, because it's y- not super. It's, yeah, it's not like super shredded Jesus. See, yeah, because when he was making, he was making the table, right? He's making this table, and he's like, you could see his arms. His arms are like, and, and it's this sort of thing where you know he's not like, oh, I spend all day working out in the gym, kind of ripped. It's like, oh. I, it's it's not like you know fitness model ripped. It's like working man ripped, which is like a tier above. Well, like, I feel like you know what I'm saying. Which would make sense though, because like historically, dude was a carpenter, so he was like lugging wood and chopping wood and stuff. Yeah, so it's about to be like you know the you know the song "Work from Home" by Fifth Harmony. Yeah. Have you seen the music video for that? No. I feel like Jesus uh, in this scene could really be in the music video for "Work from Home" by Fifth Harmony. Oh my. 
Yeah. No, I I did I did get it on that scene. I didn't get it on the other like flashback because there's like how many flashback scenes? Like four or five. There's several of them, and a lot of them have really like sexual energy. You know, there's a scene where he's uh, whose whose feet are he washing? Is he washing? It should be all the disciples. I think he's washing Peter's feet, and it's like. You know, he's like rubbing his feet and washing them. I'm just like, what is going on here? This is, and he's, and the other thing that I noticed is, you know, I've heard people speak, there are scenes where he's talking like Hebrew, he's speaking Aramaic. I don't know. I, uh, you know, when you hear people who are like native speakers of those, of, of Hebrew talking, you know, it's a, it's a very sort of like guttural kind of, I don't want to say guttural. That's not the right word, but it's like not a Jesus, all of his lines, he was pronouncing like, you know that scene in Lord of the Rings when Aragorn is talking to Arwen and he's like, and it's like they're in like that garden and she gives him the even star and he's talking all low and stuff. All of Jesus's mm-hmm. line pronunciations were like this instead of being like, like normal speaking. Yes. And so I'm just like, why no, is he? You're, you're right. Is he trying to talk all sexy and stuff? I think he's trying to be like prophetic but yeah it came across as like mad sexual energy so i feel like somebody could recut this movie and make it look like the trailer for a porno oh my god (laughs) like recut the you mean the the flashback scenes the flashback scene also the scene at the beginning when he's like crying and he's like oh and he's all sweaty and oh my god yeah what would we call it? What, what would we call the the Jesus? It could be called. Um, I mean, the Passion of the Christ. The Passion of the. I was gonna say glory holes, but. <laughs> oh no! Oh dear! Because the holes in his hands. I have to thank you. I have to tell my dad not to listen to this episode. <laughs> you have to tell me, please, if that goes in the Patreon cut or not, because you'll just have to give him a time. You'll have to give him a timestamp. I'm not cutting that joke. That joke is too good. Okay, so now I have to tell my dad don't listen to this episode or don't listen to this minute of this episode. He will not. Like I mean, I admit that that's funny, but. <laughs> Oh, oh my god yeah but like the the scene with the table that's that keeps like coming back to me like because i i know that jesus was supposed to be like a carpenter right but like can you yeah. imagine like say you were out like furniture shopping like you're out of the thrift shop right you come across this really old f-ing table and it's all broken down and shit, and you're like uh who would pay twelve hundred dollars for that and the salesman's like oh dude you want this one it's an original jesus <laughs> <laughs> So I feel like that's ringing some bell way back in the back of my head about somebody who once said they had a table that Jesus made like back in the Middle Ages or something. Dude. But I cannot put enough together to even Google it. Okay. That reminds me though, back in the Middle Ages, you know, when they, or when they did the Crusades, right? They, they up and like conquered Jerusalem and then they decided just by, you know, arbitrarily this is where this thing happened this is where this thing like they decided that one building was the building where the last supper would happen but that building wasn't built until like 700 um yeah and that's and, the and building that leonardo da vinci based his uh painting yeah. on or was it michelangelo who painted that painting it was da vinci who yeah, painted leonardo the da vinci. last supper yeah if you want to know where that building where the last supper was held actually was uh i would recommend that you get my dad's book it's called where was there and uh it's on amazon so you're gonna tell him so is the plug of my dad of your dad's book to make up for uh the joke that he's really not gonna like 
Yes. Okay. That's <laughs> no, why we I, had to put I that legitimately, in it. I legitimately recommend his book. Um, that and if you're also if you're interested about like what the Bible actually says and some very cool historical t- context about the death of Christ, uh, there's a book called The Day Christ Died, I think, by Jim Bishop. Um, and and that was I found it interesting. I don't I don't have independent verification for everything he says in the book, but um, if this like if this interests you, uh, I would recommend checking either one of those out. Yeah. So, would you like to know the one thing about this movie that I actually liked? Yes. Um. So, the one thing about this movie that I thought was actually a really, really cool portrayal and a really cool device, at least, was the portrayal of Satan. Okay. So, what did you think about about Satan in this movie? Well, I thought Satan looked like Voldemort in the Harry Potter movies. Looked like Ray Fiennes Voldemort. That's fair. I can see it. Yeah, because obviously, you know, what are we used to when it comes to depictions of Satan? We're used to like a lot uh, of red. Oh yeah, a a a red skinned man with devil horns. You know, uh, has like a trident, uh, flame, like shirtless, super ripped flames. You know, hoofs for feet. Uh, that yeah. sort of deal. Uh, has a pitchfork. A goatee. Yeah. So this was interesting to me because it was clear that and i think that voldemort is a good like that that portrayal makes sort of sense because voldemort's supposed to be like almost human but not quite satan was satan was actually played by a woman i don't know if you if you got that i did not pick up on that yeah so who is the woman that played it's this woman named uh rosalinda uh uh Kelantano or Celentano most of the actors in this movie are Italian it was very interesting because obviously Satan spoke with was portrayed as a man with like a male voice but as uh almost like a you know very slender very I want to say like snake-like very reptilian almost in appearance mm-hmm. um and it was this extremely pale skin yes and so Satan, the way that Satan was portrayed was appearing almost human, but not quite. And so Satan can like walk through Jerusalem and people might be like, okay, there, that person looks like kind of a weirdo, but doesn't like, that isn't a demon, you know? I mean, did you notice the, like the really, the, like, uh, the anti-Semitic, anti-Semitism about how they framed Satan? Did you notice the thing that they did? What did they do? There are there is at least two scenes where the high priest is walking, kind of in a circular pattern around Jesus being scourged, and Satan is right over his shoulder, like in the same frame. Oh, like they're well, I mirroring didn't pick up each on other's. That. Yeah, I uh, there's there are several. I think it's both. I think both of the ones I'm thinking of are during the scourging scene. Um, but the camera is kind of panning right to left, and the high priest is walking through the crowd to get different views, like to try to get a 360 view of him being scourged. And Satan is literally right over the dude's left shoulder. Yeah. Like, mirroring his body language. Just, Interesting. And I just noticed that, and I was like, hmm, that looks like it was on purpose. I'm sure that it was, though, because we know those things about Mel Gibson. Yeah, I was, I was cool with, with Satan in this movie. Um, what was the deal with Satan and that demonic child thing? 
I did not, I do not know. I don't know what that was supposed to be. The thing where, like, all the kids, it's pretty early in the movie, but the thing where, like, all the kids chase Judas and, like, there's, like, demon children biting at Judas. Yes. uh, That's not, that's extra biblical. And then Judas leaves town and hangs himself. Literally the only part of that story that's in the Bible is is that Judas went and hanged himself. And there, there, there's a, there's nuance that the, I felt like the movie really got wrong. I have no idea what that whole Satan with the demon child thing was about. You know, I actually looked this up. Apparently, have you seen that painting that is Madonna and child? Yes. So apparently they were trying to mirror that iconography, that, uh, that visually, but with Satan and like a demon child rather than Mary and Jesus. Okay, that seems kind of pointless, but whatever. It's sort of like a thing that Mel Gibson seems to really like to do in this movie where he'll like take a lot of medieval art. Um, I mean, I think that's a great idea to like try to mirror some some really famous religious iconography. I think that's an awesome idea. I mean, I thought the the scene at the foot of the cross was well done. You to to I thought that mirroring that painting was a really great thing. But yes. I don't get I still don't get the demon child. <laughs> I still I still think that was dumb. That's sort of the point of this movie though is that uh this I think this movie the whole point of it was to portray this crucifixion in the way that is the most in line with like old, you know, traditional medieval Europe as possible. Mm-hmm. As the way of the way that that would have been portrayed as possible. I guess the takeaway from that is that if you're going to do something like that there is a there is always going to be a heaping dose of anti-Semitism that comes with it if that's what you want to do. Right. And, and as you know, from the Christian perspective, if we are going to make this thing that happened so long ago, a part of our faith, well, it's central to your faith. You can't make it not a part of your faith. If you're a Christian, right? like, like if this is something that we're going to be thinking about, like if this is something we're going to be dwelling on. I, I don't see the problem of having a movie made that portrays the crucifixion. I would have, I would have liked to have it, you know, I would have liked to have it portrayed the days leading up to Jesus' death because there's a lot of prophecy in there. There's a lot of meaningful moments for Christians. I would have liked to see it in, include the resurrection because that's really freaking important. And I would also have liked to not see it be super racist. Yeah. Like, if we could do that, that, like, there's no reason not to have a movie about the crucifixion. It's just that this one was not it. So, out of 10, marks out of 10, what are you giving this movie? Ooh, on what? On, like, in general? Yeah, just in general. I'd give it a 4 out of 10. You'd probably give it a 0. Yeah, I'm giving it a 0, just because for me, like, Mel Gibson making a movie about the crucifixion, like, in line with basically a tradition that intentionally targeted Jewish people, knowing what I know about Mel Gibson's hatred of Jews, that's just going to be a non-starter for me to begin with. Um, As a movie, I'd give it, like, a 2 if if like if you could take all of that stuff out of it, just the elements of a movie, I'd give it a two because it was just boring and not it, it wasn't I mean, we started this we started this whole episode. I found out that you didn't know about the political drama. And like literally Jesus Christ Superstar, which Andrew Lloyd Webber wrote is better at explaining the political drama around Jesus' death than this movie is. And I feel like that's just a travesty. 
Like a, 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 a freaking musical did it better. The only, th- the entire point of this movie is Jesus, look how bad Jesus was tortured before he died and then he died. And that's like, so that misses every single point of the entire story, except for one point, which is that like Jesus went through a lot. It's like you miss the forest for the trees. I mean, yeah, well, the the suffering of Jesus is an important part of the story for Christians, but it's not the whole story, and it's not really the most important part of the story. Like, there's like four or five more important parts. Yeah, I I, I think I think the movie kind of just missed the point. I don't see the point of portraying that kind of graphic violence the way this movie did with no payoff no context i would not personally have a problem with that level of violence being used for 30 minutes out of a 90 minute movie this movie was two hours long and it was like an hour and 20 minutes of it was just jesus getting tortured right that's like that's not that doesn't do anybody any good like i don't see how this movie would be spiritually edifying if you wanted to make a Christian movie, I wouldn't be offended by the idea of making a movie like along the lines of, you know, a movie about the last week of Jesus' life between the entry into Jerusalem and, and his death and then his resurrection. I, I think that, why not? But like, why, why did it need to be like this? I don't get it. Here's a question. If you could recast anybody as Jesus, who would you cast as Jesus? Uh, Steve Carell. Steve Carell is Jesus. I literally don't know. He was just the first person that came to mind. Really? You wouldn't pick like... Literally just the first actor that came to my mind. You wouldn't pick Kirk Cameron? Oh, God, no. <laughs> now I'm trying to think seriously. Um, John Travolta? Oh, God. Yeah. Oh, I hate John Travolta. I, I'm trying to think. Who would who would I pick as to play Jesus? I would... I would um, you know, Tim Minchin absolutely killed as Judas in the London production of Jesus Christ Superstar. I would give him a shot as Jesus. You'd pick him as Jesus? I would pick... I mean, I think he he, he showed incredible emotional depth as Judas. So, hmm. um, I don't know. I'd love to see the role... If I was going to recast Jesus, I would love to see the role go to an actor of color. Like, kind of do the the Hamilton slash Bridgerton, like, colorblind casting thing. Right. I think that's really effective. You could have an Asian Jesus. I mean, you could. Yeah. I, I really love, like, I, lo- I love the way that, that Hamilton was done and what that's led to with the TV show Bridgerton. Um, I haven't seen Bridgerton. That- Does it have colorblind casting? Yes. Oh, okay. So it's a, it's, um, it's a TV show about old Britain, but there's yeah, black it's a, people it's in it. Yeah, it's a TV show about Red, uh, Regency. Yeah. Well, okay. So, okay. That's. Yeah, Regency fine. England, but they're, but it's colorblind casting. And, um, the way that they do it is very plausible and there is there's kind of a frankness to it it's not like tongue-in-cheek or coy it's just very like oh yeah these are people and they're playing roles that's it and i i I like that it feels very honest of course if you had jesus played by anybody other than like a very i guess a very sexy white man a lot of people (laughs) would get very angry about it Right, like I think that that having a colorblind casting for anything regarding the Gospels would not only make the people mad that I would enjoy making mad, but it would it would also kind of open up for a 
it would it would be i think a good idea but it would also make the right people mad so that would be a bonus <laughs> yeah I mean, because, you know, we don't actually know what Jesus looked like, did we? Right. Um, my, I remember my dad telling me um, I was a I was a, like young teenager. I had kind of just gotten to my adult height. I'm about I'm about five, 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 five. If I get a chiropractic adjustment and then stand up straight, I'm five, six. <laughs> and um, I remember get I had just kind of gotten to my adult height. I would have been like 15, 16. And my dad's telling me that Jesus was probably shorter than I was. Like Jesus as an adult was probably my height or a little bit shorter. Well, because and people were shorter back then. my mind. Yeah, because people were shorter like back then based on, you know, archaeology that we have. And my dad was like, yeah, average Jewish man at the time was probably about five, six, if not a little bit shorter. So, and I remember that blowing my mind when I was a teenager. Jesus might have been super hairy and bald. I mean... He was that's Jewish, totally, so <laughs> that's totally possible. Yeah, that's the thing is that everybody in this movie, all the actors were Italian. Anyway, yeah. I, th- I think we've gotten, I think we've gotten to the end of our rope here. Uh, any final thoughts on this movie before we can go? Uh, I was gonna say I liked the guy who played Jesus in uh, in the flashback scenes better than I did in the torture scenes. Well, there wasn't a lot of acting to be done in the torture scenes. You just go, oh, yeah. My la- my final thought about this movie is just how bad the soundtrack sucked. Like I really hated the soundtrack to this movie. That's true. The soundtrack every every scene they show Satan is like ah yeah. There was there was something redeemable about some parts of this movie. There was, in my opinion, just nothing redeemable about the soundtrack. I feel like this movie would have been way cooler with a better soundtrack. Yeah. And I'm glad you agree with me. Yeah, I thought that the soundtrack kept taking me out of it rather than really Yes, um, I agree. Yeah, I my final thoughts in this movie were I I hated every minute of having to watch it. I thought that uh it was very stupid. I know I'm sure you've seen the South Park movie or the South Park episode where they made fun of this. And I, I abs- don't think I have. Well, they did a South Park episode about it, and you can watch that now, and you'll probably totally think that it's very to. funny. Uh, but I mean, that Stan in that episode, he's like, you can't just show them torturing a guy for two hours and call that a movie. And that's my thoughts exactly. I completely agree. I think that that now that you've seen this movie, that might open up a discussion that I've been needing to get into, but requires a lot of research about. Uh, a little bit more about messianic prophecy and that we have danced around in several episodes, but we haven't really gotten deep into. So I think maybe having you see this movie will open up a discussion on that at some point in the future, which I'm excited for. But that's about the only saving grace of this movie, no pun intended, that I see. Yeah. Anyway, uh, if you like this episode, if you like this episode more than you liked the movie The Passion of the Christ, which I enjoyed talking about Passion of the Christ more than I enjoyed watching Passion of the Christ, then you can follow our podcast on social media. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Leaving Eden Podcast on Twitter at Leaving Eden Pod. You can join our Facebook group, which is called eden exodus so if you go to facebook type in eden exodus in your search bar it should pop right up uh if you want to listen to extended episodes and you know help show uh, support the show financially you can go to patreon.com slash leaving eden podcast and join there uh we do have some benefits for you there you can also 
purchase some of our merchandise, which is now available. We have t-shirts and we have mugs of both Pastor Jack's Texas Style Poison and Mountain Moo. So, Sadie, would you like to plug your social media? Yeah, you can follow me on Instagram at Sadie Carpenter Music or on Twitter at Hell Yes Sadie. And you can find me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Clubhouse at G-A-V-R-I-E-L-H-A-C-O-H-E-N. And if you like the song that is playing right now, you can go and stream that or you can download it and all of the proceeds from that go to help promote this show. And if you want to go stream that, uh, there's going to be a link in the in the, the show notes, in the show description. And uh, you can also find it by going to my Spotify, Apple Music, uh, whatever streaming service you use page. Uh, it's Gabrielle Hot Cohen. You can find it there. Um, and until next time, uh, we have some great episodes coming for you next week. We have a two-parter coming right up, which is going to be super fun. We're going to get into all sorts of really cool stuff. Uh, so stay tuned for that. And until then, you guys have a nice day. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.